0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org.
1: Your decrees are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It It imparts understanding to the simple. With mouth open, I pant, because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your custom towards those who love your name. Keep my steps steady according to your promise and never let iniquity come have dominion over me. Redeem me from human oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed stream of tears because your law is not kept. You are righteous, O Lord, and your judgments are right. You have appointed your decrees in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forgot your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is the truth. Trouble and anguish has come upon me, but your commandments are my delight. Your decrees are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live with my whole heart and cry. Answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry to you, save me, that I may observe your decrees. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I put my hope in your words. My eyes are awake before each watch of the night that I may meditate on your promise. In your steadfast love, hear my voice, O Lord. In your justice, preserve my life. Those who persecute me with evil propose draw near. They are far away from your law, yet you are near, O Lord. All your commandments are true. Long ago, I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever.
0: Excellent. Thank you, True. That was from Psalm 119, verses 129 to 152. And I don't know about you, I've really enjoyed this sermon series this summer as we've been going through uh, this longest psalm in the Bible. And even if we haven't you know, directly touched on, on all the verses in it, what an amazing way to introduce uh, the topic of, of words of life words of life, because that's what the Bible is. And as we rejoice in it and rejoice what God has given to us in the Bible, I'm just acutely aware of the the blessing it is from the Lord. And so when I was in Bible college, uh, you can imagine I was a lot younger, (laughs) and I made decisions that reflected my younger, uh, less life-experienced self. And one of those such decisions was that I, when I went to Peru, I, I bought this machete. And it's, it's not just a tourist machete, it is, it is a, a real one, it is sharp. And the re- I was in Peru because I was on a mission trip there, the, my Bible college took each third year class to uh, an international mission trip. And so our class got to go to Peru, and we got to work with churches uh, that were part of uh, the Mennonite Brethren denomination down in Peru. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. We got to see Lima, and we got to see the Andes Mountains. I got to eat a guinea pig, and I got to buy a machete. And, you know, life hack. If you ever want to buy weapons overseas, you have to put them in your checked bags. Don't try to carry them on. All right, I didn't make that mis- dis- make mistake, I knew that, but seriously, you just put it in your check bag, no problem. All right, that's out of the way. And I would say that the, the decision to buy this, in and of itself, I don't think it's a bad decision, all right? W- would people agree with me? Who, is this a good decision or a bad decision? Good decision, bad decision? Okay, <laughs> few people, all right, well, that's fine. All right, so, uh, but the, the decision, you know, this was in, when I was at Bible school, I lived in a dorm, um, surrounded by other males of similar age, and, <laughs> what What are you laughing about? <laughs> Don't get ahead of myself here. Um, the, the, there, was, there was this, how could I explain it? There was a slight feeling of anxiety because it was just sitting there, and we weren't using this machete. And so my buddy Dennis and I, uh, we, we came up with a brilliant plan. A brilliant plan, let me tell you. We got some apples. We got some apples from the kitchen. And uh, late one night we, we went outside and, and we, were, we, we, you know, we, we wanted to see if these things, this worked. And so then we, we started throwing apples at each other. And then, you know, trying to like slice them in two in the middle of the air. And there is photographic evidence that it works. Uh, there is—I'm not sure where it is. Probably Char knows. But there is a picture of me like that with two pieces of apple. Ah, so it works. This this machete has been proven. It it works. It's it's sharp. Um. Yeah, that was good and bad decisions depending on how you look at it. I had fun, no one got injured, it's all good, right? Um, if you have ever owned a machete or a sword or held, even even held any sort of well, dangerous weapon, whatever that might be, you hopefully know that it can be quite dangerous, right? You know that, that um, you can hurt someone rather easily if you don't know what you're doing. You can hurt yourself quite easily if you don't know what you're doing with it. You know, if if you don't know what you're doing or if your, your skill doesn't quite match the level of confidence you have, that's a bad mix, bad things can happen, and I'm sure I am not the only one that has seen countless video clips on YouTube of people hurting themselves with weapons, right? I don't know, just this last week in the name of research, I, I put in uh nunchuck fails in in YouTube. Oh man. <laughs> oh. And and this is you know, it is it's it's men, usually like a hundred percent men <laughs> that are making these video clips. And that that's a cautionary tale in and of itself for us. So beware. <laughs> and thank you, ladies, for being smart. <laughs> All right, But weapons are dangerous, you know, that, that, like, they're, they're meant, at least some of them, uh, maybe not that machete in particular, I think that was more of, you know, meant to be a tool to cut plants and that sort of thing, but weapons are dangerous, that's what they're usually meant to do, and you need to be trained to use them, and you need to practice regularly so that you don't hurt yourself, you don't hurt someone else. And that someone else can't easily disarm you and hurt you. All that sort of stuff. And I I find it very interesting that the Bible describes itself as a sword. On two separate occasions, it talks about the Bible as a sword. And in Ephesians 6, it's described as the sword of the Spirit. And we are to take up the sword of the Spirit as we put on the full armor of God. That's what it says in Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in Hebrews 4, the writer says that the Word of God, God's Word, is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce and divide soul from spirit, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. The Bible the living and active word of God is a powerful weapon, a powerful tool that in the wrong hands, in untrained hands, I would say, can inflict immeasurable damage, long-lasting wounds upon an unsuspecting victim. And sadly, I'm sure we're all well aware of these kind of stories as well, where people in power or people just, you know, regular people misquoting and misusing the sword of the Spirit, and that's abuse. that's, That's damage done to someone else, and that's sad. That's very sad, and so we need to be careful with how we use the sword of the Spirit and how we are trained to use it. As the Apostle Paul was getting older, he writes to Timothy, He wrote two letters, at least two recorded letters in the Bible, who was a younger man who was in leadership of different churches that Paul had set him in in charge of. And in the second letter that he writes to Timothy, Paul gives advice about the word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, he says this, "'Do your best to present yourself to God "'as one approved, a worker who has no need "'to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul is encouraging Timothy to be diligent in his study of the word of truth, to become one who handles the scriptures properly so that he won't have to be ashamed or nervous in the presentation of truth. And later on in that same letter, Paul warns Timothy that there will be false teachers and deceivers that will continue to deceive people. And still to this day, we know that. There's people out there that misuse the word of truth. How does Paul say to combat this false information and outright lies that some people are saying? Well, no, it's not simply by having a bigger billboard or a louder bullhorn or shouting louder than those people, but instead it's to continue to ground himself in the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, this is what, he, what Paul is reminding Timothy of. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. By Timothy's knowledge and continued learning and instruction, everyone who belonged to God would know the Scriptures, and it would equip them for good work. The sacred writings, the Word of God would instruct everyone for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and all people would know that the Scriptures are useful for everything in life." Through the word of life, we would know the truth, and by extension, we would know the lies around us and be able to correct our thinking and train ourselves in righteousness. Now, this reminds me of Robert. He's a man that I met in Poland. He was my main contact as, we, as I was setting up the trip. And he, he works at Elam Christian Center as the, you know, as one of the organizers, as the, you know, getting groups there and getting groups organized. He's a really, really good guy. Him and his wife, Annetta, were amazing. And, and one day we were, uh, Josh and I and him were driving back from a town, uh, a nearby town, and I asked him, well, how, how did you come to know God? How did you come to know Jesus? And he said to me that he, um, he he said that he grew up in a in a Catholic family, and he hated it, uh, mostly because his parents made him go to mass while they stayed home. He didn't think that was very fair, and the mass was boring. That was his words. And although so, he, he just he didn't want to go, but his parents continued to force him. In his teenage years, though, uh, through some friends at school who who went to a different church, there was a, I believe, a, a, a Baptist church in his town as well as a Pentecostal church in his town. Uh, some of the friends that went to those churches um, introduced him to Jesus in a way that was actually life changing, and he committed his life to God and and he actually he started to read the Bible, uh, because as a child he said that the the, pre, the Catholic priest. Um, didn't ever tell him to read the Bible. He was never encouraged to actually open the scriptures and read it for himself. And he told me this story, and it's kind of humorous but kind of sad, that um, he started in the book of Matthew, the first of the four gospels, and he read through it and he was like, wow, that was really good, but ah, it kind of sucks that Jesus died. And then so then he went, he went to Luke, the next gospel, and he was like, well, maybe this one he'll live. And, and he made his way through all four gospels, always hoping that Jesus wouldn't get crucified in this one. And it just, it, 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 it's funny, but it's not, right? Because here's this, this man who, who's recently come to, to life-changing Jesus and realizing he, he doesn't know the Bible at all. And so as he's introduced to it, it's, it's kind of a rude awakening that, oh, the four Gospels, this is the same Jesus. He's going to die in every one of them. But it, what, what, a, what a crash course in, in, in someone failing the, Robert in teaching him about the Word of God. And then Robert taking it upon himself to find out and to to. to get the word of God in him so that it can change him. Wow, and it can train him in righteousness. He was led to truth by reading the word of God, by knowing the word of God. By training in and knowing the word of God and then rightly proclaiming it, we are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. By simply training in and knowing the word of God and proclaiming it to others, we are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about that today because that's, that's what we've been commanded to do, right? We have been commanded to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And for good reason, the, the standing orders left by Jesus... At the end of his time here on earth, are, are the, the verses that we know as, as the Great Commission. Those are words often tied to, to messages about evangelism. And I want to read them today um, from Matthew 28 18 to 20. Uh, Jesus comes to his disciples and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And Wow, we cannot underestimate the bigness of such verses, right? This is the, as I said, these are the standing orders, the orders that Jesus left before he he left so that we would always follow them. If we don't know what to do, go therefore and make disciples. That's a pretty simple thing. Teaching them, baptizing them, all these things. That's what we are called to do. But if I'm being honest with myself and with you, um, in, in, their, in the bigness of these verses, they seem very momentous. And I I, I feel intimidated by these verses at times. And the here's the good part, though. The, there's other verses that, for me, explain um, evangelism. It gives us a clear idea of what we should be doing. Um, but it makes I don't know makes evangelism less like Billy Graham big, and it it makes it more just regular conversation, something that that all of us uh, that are not Billy Graham, not all of us are, have been called to do. The, the worldwide evangelism, Crusades, and big things, but all of us have been called to 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 speak the good news of Jesus this is in the regular day and so one passage, one passage that that makes evangelism seem a lot more attainable, I guess maybe that's a good word, was a passage that I was reminded of when I was in Poland, and I knew that I was going to have to to introduce our team and to share just for a few minutes when the, the first Sunday that we, were, we went to, to church in Poland, the local church there that Elam Christian Center was tied to. And so um, I was praying about this, and I was reading Psalm 96 uh, before a few days before I had to do this. And, and the verses, verses 2 and 3, really stood out to me. And this is what it said in Psalm 96. It says, Sing to the Lord, bless His name tell of his salvation from day to day, and declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. God brought those words to my mind because that's what Elam Christian Center is doing. It is a place of worship. It is a place where God's salvation is spoken of and is shared and is lived out. And because of the work that is going on there in, in, in housing refugees, in hosting Polish pastors for discipleship courses, in, in them collecting humanitarian aid and, and relief items and then taking them over the border into Ukraine, God's glory and his marvelous works were being declared to all the peoples and all the nations. And as a side note, the, the, even the history of, of the, the castle that Elam is based out of is a testimony of God's power and plan as well. Uh, the castle was built, originally built in 1550, so it's pretty old, uh, by a man named Rumpold von Tulkenberg. So keep that in mind if you have another son coming. Rumpold. But, anyways, he was an Anabaptist which really got me excited because I'm a Mennonite. Anabaptism is, is like my faith tradition. And so in my mind, I made the connection, Mennonites build castles, and I was very happy. But anyway, I, I, don't quote me on that. But anyways, he, he, was, he was a Christian man. Him and his wife were Christians, and they were Anabaptists, and they built this castle as, as, as their residence. And and, and um, if you, you can search for it on, on the internet or probably on any of our Instagrams that went, uh, the, the, like the big gateway, the, the port of, of getting into this castle, uh, there's pictures of the, of the man and the woman that, that built it. And then he also inscribed in it, um, on, on one side, um, I rumpled von Tolkenberg with the grace of God, I started to build this house. And so he's like, by the grace of God, I'm building this house. And then on the other side, it says, Lord, bless us and save us. Lord, be merciful and may your face watch over us and give us your peace. Words that might be familiar to you as numbers 6, 24 to 26. And so as we passed through this doorway, this port into the castle multiple times a day, the words on the walls were, were proclaiming a blessing. We're proclaiming the salvation of God. And obviously throughout history, it, it was used for multiple things. It was used, uh, you know, just as residences. It, it, it was reused as, as a Polish army barracks. It was used throughout World War II as, as housing uh, doctors and nurses. Um, in, back then it was in Germany. And so the doctors and nurses of a psychiatric hospital that was right next door were being housed in this castle. That was kind of a dark point in that history because, as you, you know, World War II, Germans, Nazis, it was not a very good psychiatric hospital. And, but in 1992, God's grace comes full circle and Australian missionaries uh, drive by this castle and, and, and God gives them this vision to buy it. And to restore it. And that, that was the start of Elam Christian Centre. And so these Australian missionaries, through God's mercy and God's wonderful provision, buy this castle and, and, and start to restore it, to bring it to what it is today, as this place of God. And so I was just struck by the fact that it was built by the grace of God, and it comes back and by the grace of God to be used to, to further God's kingdom. And so these verses in Psalm 96 that I read uh, became a constant refrain for me throughout the whole entire trip. And I found myself praying them over the buildings and over the projects and praying for the people that we were working with that we met there. And to be honest with you, as I, as I meditated on those words more and more as I prayed them, uh, these verses became for me, I, they revealed to it revealed to me that this is, this is the heart of evangelism. In our day-to-day lives and in, in the worship of the Lord, we should be telling others of his salvation day-to-day. And we should be declaring the glorious deeds of God to everyone. And the beautiful part of this is that evangelism then becomes a very personable way of talking to someone. It means sharing with them what God has done in your life and in the world around you so that God's Holy Spirit can then use your words to impact someone else's life. When we are telling others of God's salvation, we have the sword of the Spirit at our side. These are the words of salvation given to us so that we might tell them to others and this is where it comes, full circle, to tell others of the good news of salvation. We need to know, we need to know and have experienced that good news of salvation of our, in our own lives. Not just that one moment when we experience salvation, when we become a Christian. That's the start of a journey, definitely. But we need to be fully immersed in the good news of salvation and become well-trained in using the sword of the Spirit, in using the Bible. Well, how does that work in our, in our own lives? Well, I think a, a part, definitely, come to church and hear the word of the Lord being preached and read. But also, if this is your primary source of, of, of fuel, I guess if you want to call it, you're going to run out. And so you need to read your Bible. You need to study your Bible, You need to meditate on the word of the Lord and you need to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you so that you can teach and admonish one another. That's not just my job. That's not just Greg or Blair's job. That's all of us. That's all of our jobs. And we can all have, we all have like probably 17 million copies of the Bible in our house. We have lots of Bibles. We have no excuse. <laughs> and so go home, read your Bible, study it, meditate on it, let it come and, and be part of your life, your constant life. Because that's the way that we, it will become evident in our lives so that in everything, in every word we say, in every thought we, we think, in every action we do, God's word of truth Will become, it will just like bleh, flow out of us naturally. Everyday life needs to be filled with the sword of the Spirit so that it comes out as well-trained in our lives. When Peter wrote his first letter to, to the believers, he says this in chapter 1, 23 to 25. Or, sorry, verse just 23. You have been born anew... You've been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. All of us that call ourselves Christians have been born anew through the living and enduring word of God. When Peter uses the words living and enduring, or as the ESV Bible Bible puts it, living and abiding, It means that Peter sees the word of God, which is the good news that we announce, as having vital power in itself and exerting that same power upon the souls of people who hear it. And that power continues, continues to work through the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. The word of God, the Bible, the Bible is what we need to be living And also proclaiming so that people will know the amazing salvation of Jesus Christ. And the Bible has power. If we believe it is the true word of God, which I do, then let us speak it as everyday truth and let the Holy Spirit change people's hearts and minds. That's not our job. Our job is just to simply speak. And it's God's job to change hearts. But we need to become obedient and speak that. When we were in, in Poland, we visited a couple old churches. And I believe anytime you go to Europe, you will see old churches, right? They're, they're everywhere, all right? There's ruins of churches, there's churches that are still in use today, uh, mainly old Catholic churches. And in Lvovik-Schlonsky, the, there was two Catholic churches, and we visited them both just to see what they were like. Uh, the big Catholic church there was originally built in the 1200s. That's old. <laughs> that was pretty neat. And so there was lots of history there, lots of history in that building in and of itself. Um, as you might well imagine, there were lots of statues of saints. That seems pretty common in Catholic churches. Uh, There's lots of beautiful stained glass Stained glass is amazing. We should get some. <laughs> and there was also there's a few pictures of of Pope John Paul II because he was originally Polish. Um, and then there, I the thing that stood out to me the most about this particular church was that there were there seemed to be a lot of crucifixes, a lot of a lot of you know crosses with Jesus hanging on them. And and I took a picture of one of them. And so. You can see it up there because it stood out to me. It was rather plain. There's nothing terribly fancy about it. And, and it was right beside, like right beside the entrance to the church. And then there's this small table you can see at the base of it. And it seemed kind of out of place. It seemed like the church janitor maybe just didn't know what to do with the table. So she beep, put it right there. And it, it wasn't surrounded by an ornate altar. As you can see, it simply was there just by itself, proclaiming the message of Jesus' death. And it it, it stood out to me and it it kind of stayed in my thoughts for a long time. Still is in my thoughts. And I bring this up to you today because it seemed like a a fitting visual expression, actually, of what Paul said in First Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And this is, this, is, this is letting the word of God speak. And that's what we need to do. We need to let the word of God speak. Not just to put our own spin on things all the time, but to let God speak to us through his word. And this is what Paul said in his letter to the church in Corinth. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come... Proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. If you don't believe this yet, Please listen. God loves you just the way that you are. God accepts you the way that you are, but he's not going to leave you where you are. Jesus Christ was crucified for you that you might put your faith in him and in his saving grace. And the big ask is this. Surrender everything to God. The good, the bad, the ugly, the sin, And God will give you everything you need in return. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that. And there also, there probably will be people standing at the back during the the two songs to come to pray with you if that's something that God wants to do in your life today.